Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Brian. Okay, here we are. It's kind of interesting giving a Dharma talk at, at my desk. Um, but this is what's happening. So let me close the door behind me. Hmm. I just want to take a moment. Okay. So here we are, um, the end of our formal first day. Uh, I want to um, remind you while I think about it that um, the retreat hopefully will continue on uh, after we we end here, particularly if you're, if you're doing this as an intensive practice period. And um, I, uh, I just posted or just asked Kenneth to post a um, some guided metta practices um, and Will that be, you think that will be able to be put up, um, Brian? So, I do, yeah. Great, great. I think it's getting posted right now, probably. Oh, super. So the, and the, uh, the sound is okay? Is the sound okay for, for me? Yeah, okay, good. Um, so these are, if you're, after your practice here today and you're wondering what to do or you're getting bored or you, you need a little bit more uh, input, um, guided loving kindness practice uh, is a great use of your time. It supports the, the mindfulness practice that we'll be doing here. And uh, when we close today, we'll close with just a, a short dedication and, and metta. But uh, those are posted on, uh, on the website for you. I posted three um, for you to do. Don't, I wouldn't suggest doing them all today, uh, like for the next three days you can do. <clears throat> you can't overdo metta, but you know, you, you might have your fill uh, after one guided. So um, here we are. Uh, I'm so mm, happy to be able to share the Dharma and support you in your practice today. And whatever your experience, the first day is usually a real settling in period. And if you're on retreat, the common question by the end of the first day is, um, what was I thinking when I signed up for this? Or am I doing it right? One variation of these, because the first day there's a big settling in process. I just, maybe uh, I'll take a little barometer uh, weather check and I'll go through some of the pages. Um, if you've been sleepy at all since we've started, raise your hand, just visually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. If you've been um, restless and you're saying, gee, I feel like uh, uh, antsy and want to pop out of my skin. 
All right, wait, I'm gonna take a look and see. Right. Keep your hands up. Okay, and uh, how about aches in the body? Uh, if you're sitting on the ground or wherever you are, lots of hands for there. Okay, all right. And how about uh, busy mind? Well, that's almost a pretty safe bet. Um, yeah, great. Those are the four things that usually happen at the beginning of a retreat. So uh, I see all those hands. You're doing great. You're right in schedule. Because <clears throat> it, it takes a while to just settle in and come into the present moment. No matter how you're doing it, um, to what extent you're able to go full, full on with as minimal distraction as possible, or um, if you're uh, just doing it in the flow of your life because you've got other family or uh, work at home, um, it takes a while to settle in. Usually it takes about three days to settle in. And so the first part of the process is being very spacious and kind and patient with whatever your experience is. I wanted to talk tonight uh, on this opening talk um, about um, a sense of how this process unfolds. And I'm going to use a classical list from uh, the Buddha's teaching to um, present that. Uh, it's been a list that I've found very, very helpful and supportive. As I think I said yesterday, this this teaching uh, has lots and lots of lists. And this one particular list um, helps to get a sense of how intensive practice unfolds as well as just our general journey uh, of awakening through our life. And it's the list of the five spiritual faculties. Okay. Um, I can... Uh, uh, give you uh, the overview of them, and then we can go into each one. Uh, the, the five are faith, effort or energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And this list can be seen in uh, two different ways, maybe there are more, but two particular ones that are obvious. One is a list of balancing factors. Mindfulness is always in the, the center, balancing all the other factors, whether it's the seven factors of enlightenment or the five spiritual faculties or uh, all, the, all the lists that mindfulness is in because it cultivates all of them. But along with mindfulness, there is... Um, faith and wisdom. If there's too much faith and not enough wisdom, it can become blind faith. But if there's too much wisdom, that is a, an, an analytical um, investigation without enough heart in it, it can become very dry and cerebral. So faith and wisdom are balanced and concentration and energy or effort 
need to be in balance as well. If there's too much effort, but not enough stilling of the concentration, we become very agitated. And if there's more stilling quality of concentration, but not enough energy, then uh, we can fall asleep. Mm. So that's one way to think of these. These are uh, a list where there's balancing qualities. The way I want to present it is giving you a natural unfolding of practice. And of course, it's not as textbook as, oh, you first do this and you uh, master that, and then you go on to the next one, then you go on to the next one. There's a kind of a spiral hologram where they're all supporting each other. But there's a general flow that I think uh, and hope that uh, you can understand the development of one building onto another into another. Mm. So the first quality, it normally translated as faith, the word sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A, -D -D sadha which um, literally means to put your heart into something, a wholeheartedness. Faith is one translation. Trust is a word that resonates for some people more than faith, uh, because with trust, uh, you, you're not expected to believe anything and sometimes the word faith can uh, can trigger stuff from whatever upbringing we've had for some people it's a beautiful beautiful word and for others it's so oh, uh that reminds me of sunday school or uh when i'm supposed to believe something and uh it was hard for me so trust confidence conviction they're all in that um, realm of sadha, to put your heart into something. And there's different levels of faith or of sadha, I should say, that we can come uh, to practice with. It starts with uh, what's called a bright faith. When we're inspired to find out for ourselves. Maybe you uh, read a book or heard a talk or uh, spoke to a friend and something in that transmission ignited something in you that said, I want to I wanna go for this. Or you can get very inspired when you hear somebody or see somebody who embodies this and says, yes. I'm going for it. I can share with you my own experience. When I, I first encountered these teachings, I think I, I mentioned uh, in 1974, after reading Be Here Now, and Ramdas uh, pointed me to, um, uh, to, to be in Joseph Goldstein's class, and there was something in what he was saying. I talked about this, didn't I? yesterday. Did I talk about this? No, I didn't. Oh, oh, it was, I, I had another group the other night. Um, let me see what them, pardon me, I'm doing a lot of different groups. 
when I first heard these teachings, I, ca I carried around Be Here Now like a Bible for, um, for a few years. And then I finally got out to um, Naropa Institute, uh, which is now Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. And I finally got to meet Ramdas and I asked him about meditation. I've been doing TM, uh, Transcendental Meditation. I think I mentioned that. And, um, and he said, go check this guy Goldstein out. And when I went to hear Joseph and he was saying that it's, it's possible to not be run by my neurotic thoughts, there was something that I had never entertained that as an, a thought before, but I, there was something in the way he said it that I was in my own suffering and I got inspired in thinking, oh, maybe he knows what he's talking about because there was something about his whole being that oozed conviction and um, uh, authenticity. And I said, I'm going for it. And I was so inspired to see, I think I found what I'm looking for. And maybe as I'm talking here, you can relate to your own igniting of that, um, that call. You kind of hear the call, whether you read a book or spoke to somebody. And just, uh, I, I invite you for a moment to think when for you, you were so moved that would make you to sign up for a retreat like this, or maybe for a mindfulness teacher program or something like that. Something got to you. It had to. I just invite you to remember what it was that brought you here right now in, in this group. Do you remember? Without getting into the answers, how many people remember what first took them on this path? Mm. That's your special journey. And that started you in this process. You were inspired. And you were moved to find out for yourself. Um, and that led you to practice and find out for yourself. Now, faith is the, or trust, sada, is the antidote to doubt. But doubt is very natural in this process. You know, even, even the Buddha had doubt right up until he was enlightened. It was the last thing that left, as Mara was saying, what makes you think you have a right to be enlightened? And the Buddha touching the ground and saying, by all the work that I've done, as the earth is my witness, I have a right to be here. But doubt is there until just before the enlightenment. Okay, so, and the same with Jesus. There he is on the cross. Why hast thou forsaken me? So if you have some doubt, you're in good company. Cut yourself some slack. But know that you are, um, there's something that's deeply called you that you want to really honor. So from that bright faith, then you keep on finding out for yourself. You practice, and as you see more and more for yourself, you have 
what's called verified faith, where it's not just something that you read in a book. It's something that you've seen for yourself, some principle or understanding um, that is yours. Not just cerebral, not just some idea or dogma, but it's yours. I, I can share with you the one experience, my, my, one of my early experiences of verified faith. It was on my second retreat, um, and it was uh, up in uh, Washington State. And I, I was completely besieged by doubt. I was a phony. Every, I didn't know what I was doing. Everybody around, they looked, they were looking holy and spiritual, but they didn't know what they were doing. And I was not too sure about the teachers either. You know, I thought we were all kind of in a con uh, and, and fooling ourselves. It was incredible doubt. And I tried to sit. I couldn't sit. I tried to walk. I couldn't walk and go back and forth. Finally, I just decided to go up to my little cubicle area in this uh, retreat center. And there was a picture of, um, of Neem Karoli Baba, who uh, was Ram Dass's guru in Be Here Now. Uh, and as I said, I had carried around that book for a while and uh, for quite a while. And Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji, he's called, there was a picture looking up at me with a little twinkle in his eye saying, hmm, getting pretty freaked out, aren't we? And he had a smile in my mind on his face. And in a moment, the whole spell was broken as I saw how I had wound myself up into this ball. And he was just smiling, saying, it's okay. And in a moment when the spell was broken, it was like I was... I was born again, and I got so excited, I couldn't wait to tell my teacher that I conquered doubt. Wow, I had doubt, and now I don't have doubt anymore. Unfortunately, the interview wasn't for another um, day. And so between that time, that moment, and the time that I saw him, I went through every possible mind state from exhilaration, aliveness, to exhaustion, to crashing, and to confusion. Then I got calm again. Then I got, I went all over the map, and I finally went into the interview, and, uh, and Joseph asked me, well, how is it going? And I said, in complete innocence and exasperation, it's always changing. And he said, that's it. You got it. That's the idea. And I said, oh, yeah, you keep on saying that, don't you? Everything is changing. Oh, I see. I get it. Everything is changing. And then it became mine. And you will find your own ways of discovering in an embodied way what we're talking about or sharing in any of these principles. That's verified faith, where it's yours. And that becomes a development of unshakable faith, where you know it's not just a fleeting kind of a thing, but you know and you have a deep, deep trust in the Dharma, in the teachings, or in the practice. 
verified faith. Or if you like the word trust, the word trust is a beautiful word. It's not that everything is going to work out just the way you want. We don't have control over life, but rather trusting that your awareness can meet the moment when it comes. And you more and more trust in awareness. This is a retreat, the magic of awareness. And it is magical when you are not trying to figure everything out and you see for yourself that when that moment comes, there is a wisdom that you can naturally call on. And it's carried you through all the other difficult situations in your life. Sometimes we forget that we've made it through every difficult situation, and then we come to a new one, we say, uh-oh, what if I don't make it through this one? But if you look back and you can trust, oh, I made it through those other ones, something seems to get activated in me, some kind of wisdom if I can listen to it. So it's trusting in the awareness. Not that everything works out just how I like, but we can let go of our agenda and respond wisely to what life is presenting us. So this is the first. From sadha, from that trust or faith that gets you to practice comes the second element or energy, effort. And sometimes they are spoken of synonymously. Energy, virya. And energy is an issue that is a very key one for, for all practitioners because the, the question can easily come, am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? Am I being lazy? Am I doing it too much because I'm winding myself into a ball? So it's got to be a balance of effort. That's the key. In fact, this whole path can be one thought of as a path of balance. Mm. Effort is something that is really uh, not about what things look like. We can have any some kind of an idea Am I there? Am I quiet? Did I have very few thoughts? Um, I must be doing it right. Oh, my mind is all over the map. I must not be doing it right. That's not it. What happens is out of your control, pretty much. It was a tremendous relief to me when I discovered at some point in my practice that I have very little control over what comes, comes through my mind at any moment. If I did, I'd only have thoughts of loving everybody and blessing everybody, but some others seem to slip through. And when I realized I, don't, I can't really control this, I can't control how concentrated I am, I can't control how mindful I am, I can do things that can help support those, 
But as far as what's going on in here, the one thing that I can control or have some input in, which it seems is all I need, is the intention to be here as best I can. And when I realize I've gone, to bring myself back. That's my commitment. So it's the effort to do my part to be present and let go of the report card, like I said uh, earlier today, uh, let go of the, um, uh, of the gold star, you know, oh, I'm doing it great. Hey, that was a pretty good meditation. I think I'm getting this, you know, Oh God, what a, what, how pathetic I am. Don't take it personally, but make the effort when your mind wanders to bring it back in a very loving way. That's your end of the deal. And so effort is not about looking for the results. Am I there yet? Did I succeed? But rather, it's coming from a sincerity of heart. That, I think, is, for me, the key word to go along with effort. That I am sincerely trying to show up as best I can. And whatever happens beyond that, not my problem, not my will. Whether you think of it as thy will or the universe or the Dharma, I take refuge in the Dharma. Um, it's about sincerity. Now that can look different in different moments or different periods of the day because your energy changes throughout the day. So because everything changes, including energy, you have to see how you can meet the moment in a very balanced way. If you are too tight, I'm gonna be mindful if it kills me. It might, that's not the way to go. Or if it's too lax, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful, you know, maybe it'll happen. It won't happen. You have to, have the intention to show up and then uh, just trust in the process. And so you have to really be tuned into how you're feeling and what your energy is like, whether you're needing to relax a bit or whether you're needing to rev up the commitment a bit. There's a story in, uh, in the Buddhist time that I'll share with you that, that might, you might find helpful of this one monk who was really committed and going for it. And he was just, you know, turning up the jets and all, um, all his heroic effort, as it's called, was up. But he was getting really tight. And he was getting, it was getting so hard that he thought, I, I don't know if this is, if it's, I'm, do, I'm doing something wrong. And the Buddha got wind of him and he, he saw his problem and he said, um, well, let me ask you, he, he happened to remember, weren't you a musician before you uh, took robes? And he said, 
um, yeah, that's right. He said, what did you play? And the man said, oh, I, I, played, uh, I played the lute, beautiful stringed instrument. And the Buddha said, well, let me ask you, what happened when you made the strings too tight? And he said, oh, I didn't get the right, the right note. It was, it was too high a pitch. And he said, and what happens when the strings were too loose? Oh, again, not the right, the right note. Uh, it, was, it was too low. And the Buddha said, just say so, my friend, in the same way, if you're too tight, you can't be mindful. The mind is contracted and agitated. If you're too loose or lax, you won't be able to see clearly. And so find a balance of effort and adjust like you're riding a bicycle. Oh, I'm, I'm a little bit tight. Let's just relax here. I'm a little bit lazy or laid back. Let's really come back to my sincerity, why I'm here. And that is the secret of effort. It's a balance of effort. Mm. Let me just see any notes that I have here. Yeah, okay. So now the effort is simply the effort to be mindful. That's it. You don't have to go for sainthood or uh, or, 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 or Buddhahood or whatever you want to call it. It's just the effort to be present. And that is the key to the whole process. And that at different times might feel like you want to really um, stoke the, uh, the faith and the inspiration, or it might be, oh, I need to just be more at ease and not, not get so wound up in this. So this leads to the third faculty, mindfulness. You've probably heard this word once or twice. Mindfulness is the key to awakening. And the, the discourse that the Buddha um, gave that all of mindfulness practice is based on it's called the Satipatthana Sutta. And he says at the beginning of the Sutta, there is one way, one most wonderful way, Thich Nhat Hanh translates it, or one most direct way to overcome sorrow, overcome lamentation, grief, despair, and pain and anxiety and realize the highest happiness. And that is the establishment of mindfulness. That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you say? One way to overcome all of those kinds of suffering and to realize the highest happiness is mindfulness. That's what we're talking about. Because mindfulness has the unique property to cultivate all the other beautiful qualities of heart. Wisdom, compassion, love, generosity, patience, courage, 
all of the beautiful qualities are cultivated with mindfulness and all of the unhealthy qualities, akusala, they're called, are weakened by mindfulness. When you apply mindfulness to fear or worry or grasping or confusion, this is the magic of awareness. That's why it's so magical because when mindfulness is correctly applied to any state, it weakens the states of suffering and it strengthens the states of well-being and happiness and it leads to liberation. Okay, so now let, let me talk a little bit about mindfulness. Okay, a few things to say. Mindfulness is simply being here for our experience as it is without trying to change it unless some adjustment is needed for you to, to not be in struggle, but to be with things as they are without grasping at the pleasant or pushing away the unpleasant or identifying with our experience. And I'll talk more about that later on in this talk. But it's simply being with what's your, what your experience is. You're not trying to go from bells and whistles. You're just being with it like it is. Being in the present, which is not a place that most of us live our life. We're usually lost in the future or the past or in fantasy. But being in the present, seeing things clearly, naming what our accurate experience is instead of trying to embellish it or, or diminish it, but just really calling it like it is. As you are in the present, you start to see how the present is constantly changing, always. And you're also being there in a non-judgmental way. Here's a little ex exercise. I did this in the small group uh, that I love. Joseph uh, first uh, taught me this many years ago. I don't know if he uses it now, but I have for many years. So put your arm out in front of you, your hand out in front of you like this, okay? And move it slowly from side to side slowly and now close your eyes as you're doing this and put all your attention on feeling the movement as you're doing this is there any fear right now in your mind any worry just stay with the feeling of your hand moving any confusion? Just feeling your hand moving? Yesterday or tomorrow? Just feeling that. Okay, you can put your hand down. Congratulations, you were just mindful. Okay. And in that moment, you didn't have to make it a better experience. 
it was just what it was. You didn't need probably to add anything on and say, oh, if only it was a better hand or a better movement, it would be better. It was just what it was. You didn't have to take anything away. It was just what it was. And in that moment, your mind was completely balanced and connected to what was going on. There's a quality of balance and presence that really is a wholeness, a contentment with the present moment. And you can have that kind of mindfulness, whether you're feeling your breath or hearing a sound or feeling a sensation in your body or feeling an emotion, pleasant or unpleasant. That's the thing. Anything can be worthy of your attention. It's not that it's got to be a great moment for you to be paying attention. Any moment is just as good as any other moment to practice mindfulness, whether you're sitting or standing or walking or lying down or eating or brushing your teeth or doing any kind of activity around, oh, another moment to be mindful. And as you start to notice those moments of mindfulness, they start to develop in a very profound way. And that will lead to the fourth faculty. But before I leave the, the, the mindfulness at this point, I just want to um, stress that there are different lenses to take in reality. And any lens, if you're looking with the magic of mindfulness, is just as good as any other lens. Sometimes you will notice the subtleties of experience. If you're feeling the breath and you're, say, feeling it at the nostrils, sometimes you can be, it can be so microscopic, you can almost you know, feel your hair follicles in your nose swaying in the breeze. Wow, look at that. Just feeling the subtlest sensation. Other times it can be a much more global experience where you have no idea what's going on, but in a moment you see, oh, I'm confused. That's what's happening. And in that moment, you're mindful again. Oh, I'm confused. Confusion is happening. Ah, of course. You might be clearly confused, but you're clear about it. And so that moment of mindfulness is just as potent a moment as the subtle sensations. So not to think that it's supposed to look any one way. It's just how can I meet this moment and really see what's here and be here for what's here? And it might mean adjusting the aperture to take in what's here right now. Oh, and here's sadness. Oh, and here's an itch on my nose. Oh, and here's um, thinking, just knowing that thinking is happening. Oh, and there's hearing a bird or a truck. 
or a jackhammer. Oh, it's just hearing happening. So it's not what you're paying attention to that matters. It's the quality of presence. That's the key. So trust or faith gets you to make the effort to be mindful. And then mindfulness builds on itself to develop into the fourth of these faculties, concentration. Now, concentration is, um, is a very tricky quality. We probably all want to be concentrated, but the more you try hard to be concentrated, the more it works against you. Because concentration is, uh, is limited in its support from, from strong will, intention. It's not so sustainable, but rather relaxation is a great support for concentration. Not laziness, not sloppiness, but just not a tight mind. And there are times when you are, I'm sure, concentrated, whether or not you realize it. If you have a hobby that you're engrossed in, that you love, there it is. If you are, if you love to dance and you're dancing and you're fully there, so you're, if you're not trying hard to dance, have you ever tried hard? I'm gonna dance well now. It gets in the way, doesn't it? So it's really just kind of surrendering and giving yourself over to it. That's the key because concentration, the word absorption is often used with concentration. There are qualities of absorption of of high keen interest and you can get into some very, very refined states when you enter into absorption. That word absorb is the key. Letting yourself be absorbed. So interest is the key to concentration. And if you can bring that sense of wonder that we were born into this world with and have that sense of delight and fascination, that leads to concentration. Interest is the key, not tightness, not struggle. Um, I said this on, uh, on my small group, I'll share it again. Sometimes I share it in, in small, in, uh, on retreats. I have a, a birthday card that I've never given away. It's right in that closet over there. I love it. And I, I, it's, it's an attachment, I understand, but I just never wanted to give it away because I love it so much. And on the front is a, um, a baby who uh, has obviously just pulled a booger out of his nose. Right? And he is fascinated, mesmerized, and you open it up 
you see that? And then it opened up and says, you always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. Well, that's the key to concentration. I aspire to boogerhood, you know, where you're just letting yourself be fascinated by what's here. And after a while, when, my, when mindfulness gets strong enough, things become more interesting and fascinating. But at the beginning, it takes mm, a consistent effort to bring yourself back. I remember one meditation teacher called it manual labor, one great Tibetan master. You know, just, okay, bring yourself back. Come on, bring yourself back. But every time you notice your mind wander, if you can bring it back with love and with kindness and not taking it personally, and you have a commitment to keep on coming back, you will start to train that puppy to land on the paper. That's your end of the deal. That's why effort to be mindful is the key. And those moments of mindfulness build on each other. But here is the secret, okay? Besides interest, there's one other piece that I really encourage you, especially doing this practice at home, uh, to keep in mind. And it makes, it's a little bit harder at home, particularly, you know, if you've got a lot of distractions, it's gonna be that much harder. But if you're trying to do this as a full-on retreat, here's the secret, you ready? Continuity is the key. One moment of mindfulness followed by another moment of mindfulness and another moment of mindfulness. Even if you're changing activities, that's why I say, you know, if you're brushing your hair, let it be a, mindf a moment of mindfulness. If you're brushing your teeth or washing your hands, hope you're washing your hands a lot these days, Oh, great, mindfulness, let's be here for this. If you're having a cup of tea or making some food, do it as a mindfulness practice, but you gotta do it like it's a dance for the day. Not, I've gotta be on top of this, but just, oh, the next thing I'm doing. And if you can do it as a dance where every moment of mindfulness is worthy of your attention, if you do that over a few days, and as I say at the beginning, it, it takes some intention and effort. What happens is those moments of mindfulness build on each other. Joseph used to have this phrase, N, uh, this, uh, not, not phrase, uh, uh, acronym, NPMs, noticings per minute. That's what he'd say. And I'd make it like a game, no, no failing, but just seeing how many moments I can be present for. And in that game, if you keep it up and make it like a dance, and every time you, you get lost, oh, come on back in a loving way, what happens is those moments of mindfulness build into a momentum. I used to have the image of, 
cranking an engine, you know, at the beginning, it's, you got to crank it and crank it and it flies, then it's gone. And then it's, then it takes off in the same way you're cranking up mindfulness. And what happens is that as the mindfulness gets stronger, you see more. And as you see more, everything becomes more interesting. And as you're more interested, you want to see more. And as you want to see more, the mindfulness gets stronger. So it builds on itself. But at the beginning, it takes some, some practice and some intention to get that engine going. The alternative is if you're not building on that continuity, if you're saying, well, okay, I'll, I'll be mindful for a little while. Okay, I put in my time and I'll take a break. All right, now I'm going to go again and try again. What happens is the mindfulness doesn't get stronger. And if it doesn't get stronger, things aren't as interesting and compelling and we get bored and we're looking for some entertainment that's really worthy of our attention. And as we get bored, we don't want to pay attention. And the less we pay attention, the weaker the mindfulness is. And so there's a choice point in every single moment. And remember, all you have to do is come back to your intention to be present and then everything will take care of itself. An image that you might find helpful that I've always found um, uh, beneficial is that of um, putting a kettle on a stove to boil, right? You have that tea kettle on the stove. If you take it off every 30 seconds or so, uh, is it boiled yet? No, it's not. Okay, put it back on. It's not going to cook. But if you put it on the stove, even if sometimes the, the flame is lower and sometimes it's higher, after a while, it's going to cook. Let that be mm, a support for your practice. Just whatever I'm doing, not tight, not pouncing on it, but just making it like a dance. Oh. And here's touching the light and turning it on. Ah, and here's turning it off. Oh, and here's opening the water bottle. Hmm. Drinking water, putting it down. You do it like that, and you will notice a dramatic deepening of your practice over a few days. So you might just notice how many breaks you take. And of course, like I said before, you have to be realistic about what you're doing, not to be tight about it. And if kids come up and say, mommy, mommy, here I am, then it's, ah, loving my children moment of mindfulness. Um, but keep that in mind. Continuity is the key to concentration. All right, and that leads us to the last of these faculties. Faith or trust, 
leads you to put it in the energy or the effort to be mindful. And those moments of mindfulness build on each other and flower as wisdom. So what is wisdom? It's a big word. And we might have all kinds of ideas of what that word means. And I'll just mention uh, a few dimensions of it. But the key or the essence of wisdom, I will give, give to you in the, uh, in the teachings, the Buddhist teachings, that wisdom flowers when you discover three truths about existence. And these are truths probably that you might know intellectually, but the more you embody them, the more there's a deepening wisdom. And then you're sharing whatever you share, not from some kind of a script, if you're in this to share with others, but you're sharing it from your actual embodied lived experience. What are these three characteristics of existence called? The first is anicca in, uh, in sense in uh, Pali, A-N-I-C-C-A, anicca, which is impermanence. Everything is changing. Now, if you ask somebody, do things change? Probably most people would say, yeah, things change. But we don't live our life as if there's a deep understanding of that, most of us anyway, unless we've truly practiced and taken a, a deep look for ourselves. When we're in the middle of a very difficult time, if we have a true, deep, embodied understanding of impermanence, then we're not fearing that we're going to get stuck for good. Uh, this will pass and let me learn what I can from this moment. Let me find the courage to open up skillfully to learn to be with the difficult because things will change sooner or later and I can trust. I don't have to help it along. And the more you try to run away from it, the more uh, you're, you're frightened by it. The second, oh, and also when things are wonderful, I want to give the other side of the coin, when everything is going hunky-dory, wow, I finally got my life together. It's taken me a long time and I finally got it. You're forgetting that things change. And so you're more allowing for the natural flow of life. And so you realize it's not about coming to some magical moment, but it's seeing that life is a flow and we can be here for the ride. And every moment counts in that. Everything changes, Anicca. The second hallmark of existence is Dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, Dukkha, which is usually translated as suffering or unsatisfactoriness or the unreliability of life because everything changes. 
And if we try to hold on to that which is changing, we're going to suffer. As Joseph used to call it, rope burn. If you ever were in a gym class or you're in a tug of war and you're trying to hold on and, and or you slide down that rope, it burns. Holding on to changing experience is rope burn, is suffering. And so we learn more and more that we can let go and meet the moment with wisdom. So that's the second. The third of these three marks is anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A, -A -T -T -A, anatta, which is a word that means not self, like Atman is self, Anatta is not self. What does that mean? It's seeing the selfless nature of reality. Instead of seeing us as separate, some separate being, there is nothing in here that is fixed and unchanging, just like everything else changes, there's impermanence in everything else. We too are this changing experience. And when you see that, you see that you cannot control experience, it's a flow of life. And those three characteristics or marks of experience are the doorway to freedom. And the concentrated mindfulness reveals this over and over. When you see, you're sitting here and you're seeing everything is changing. Oh, here's a thought, here's the breath, here's a sensation, here's a, a mood, here's another thought, another thought, here's the breath, like that. You see for yourself how things change and that you yourself are change. As a, just to come to a near close and closing on our time and on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the, the talk, uh, a little exercise that I love to do that kind of points to this. I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And Most of us think of ourselves as nouns, as somebody, you know, a noun is a person, place, or thing. So as you close your eyes, okay, and first think of yourself as somebody, it's me. Okay. You are a noun that people know, and people know your name and who you are. Yep, that's me. Now shift to thinking of yourself as a verb, as a field of activity with blood circulating through, digestive system taking care of the nutrients that you take in, respiratory system, nervous system, endocrine system, all of those things, you are a verb. Just relax in that for a moment. You are life moving through you. 
no need to create a sense of separation. It's just life expressing itself as you. Okay, if you like, you can open your eyes. The more you are, that is revealed by your meditation practice, the more it becomes an embodied understanding because everything changes when you get out of the way and see there's something pure and divine coming through you. And then you discover who you really are beyond your small sense of self. I'll just close with this Tibetan um, teaching from Nyosho Kempo, wonderful Tibetan master. He says, Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself is in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize who they really are, are enlightened. And those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this true nature and authentically identifying it with it in, in your own stream of being. So the good news is when you get out of the way, there's something beautiful that shines through you. And the way to do it is by practice as we're doing. And those five faculties explain it. The faith or trust to be making the effort to be mindful, developing into a concentrated awareness and flowering as wisdom where you see things clearly. So I know that's a lot of words, especially looking at a screen the whole time. Let's just take a moment. It's just uh, time, but just take a moment to let the words settle. for your attention and uh, carry on. Remember that continuity and let it be a dance of awareness. Um, so um, Brian, you have some, any closing words that you want to share? Um, the, uh, the guided meta that James mentioned is, is up and live on the web page. Just make sure to refresh your homepage. It's on a tab called guided Meditations with James. Great. Refresh, refresh. Refresh. <clears throat> refresh your mind. Every time it wanders, ah, fresh, coming back again. Okay, have a, a really um, good evening and see you tomorrow. And we'll have some time for questions tomorrow. Um, we can take some, uh, see what's going on. All right, enjoy your practice. <clears throat>